0: Peggy Hoyt.
1: Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Bryan, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a national nonprofit dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We do this by educating pet parents about the importance of getting a pet trust for their loved pet and we provide trustee services. Today, we have a very special guest. She is the founder and the executive director of the Dog Rehoming Project, and the name itself is very interesting. But welcome to the show, Dr. Karen Griffin.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me um, and for the kind introduction. I really appreciate it, and I'm happy to be here. Well, you're very welcome. And uh,
1: let me tell our listeners a little bit about you because you have a very impressive resume. (laughs) So Karen Griffin, PhD, is a research scientist in the field of shelter dogs and dog rehoming. She earned her doctorate in animal sciences at the University of Lincoln in Lincolnshire, England. The scope of her research experience and interest within this field includes how a dog fits into a home environment, what qualifies a successful dog placement, and how to improve the likelihood that a placement will be successful. Her research is based in both the US and Europe, and she is focused on the practical and real-world applications of its findings. With a background in the social sciences, Karen employs an interdisciplinary approach to her research. After growing up only with cats, she adopted her first dog, Ratatouille, while living in New York City as an adult. Her interest in this field began with Ratatouille and he forever changed the way she saw the world. Thank you to Ratatouille and welcome <laughs> to you, Karen. And uh, you. what would you add to that uh, illustrious introduction? Because you I, really have
2: so much going on there. <laughs> I don't know that I, that I would add anything. I think that pretty much um, pretty much sums it up nicely. What kind um, of dog
1: was Ratatouille? I'm just.
2: He He was, so actually um, in our logo, in the Dog Humming Project's logo, there's a kind of drawing um, illustration of a dog. Um, he, that was based, that's him. Um, that was based actually on a lovely professional photo that was taken of him when we were living in New York City. Um, so he was like a terrier mutt, um, yeah. He was kind of a scruffy, scruffy dog. Um, so, so yeah, and he was not named after the movie, by the way. It came okay. out I guess around kind of around the same time. It just seemed to to, to suit him. I, I speak French, I spent a lot of time in France and you know, Ratatouille is just a kind of a, a peasant dish of all different kind of whatever vegetables are lying around, kind of a hodgepodge, and he was just kind of a hodgepodge of a dog. He was just like a mutt and it just suited him. And Ratatouille is <laughs> a much better name than Hodgepodge. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. And he came, I adopted, we adopted him with some silly name. So it suited him. His new name suited him much better.
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm not adverse to giving dogs or anybody new names when, uh, yes. when it's appropriate. So yes. Indeed. Um, I, I like the motto of your organization call, um, which is lead with science. Yes. So really that's your background. You're a scientist, you're a researcher, And, um, so I just feel it's incredible though, that you, um, locked onto this subject of doing research, um, to make sure that dogs get better homes.
2: Yep. Yep. It, um, it like, you know, like we discussed a few moments ago before we started, um, so this kind of field within canine science, so just kind of broadly studying all aspects of dogs, cognition, behavior, et cetera, uh, the kind of subfield looking at dog sheltering, dog rehoming, anything to do with a dog staying or not staying in a home, um, has really kind of exploded, so to speak, in the last 20 or so years, um, ha- which is awesome. Um, so, certain kind of areas within the subfield have gotten a bit more attention than others. But it's, it's really gotten international in attention, um, which is exciting. Um, having said that, it probably would get a lot more research attention. Um, unfortunately, there's a massive lack of funding to fund this sort of work. Um, the work, the, the kind of the beneficiaries of the work, because all of this work is very practical, um, as you noted in, in kind of my own biography. Um, the purpose of this work isn't to sit to sit in some journal, you know, some scientific journal. Like, yes, that's where we publish our work, but the purpose are the practical applications, right? So, how can we take science, take the evidence that we've learned through our research, and apply it to to organizations, to shelters, to dog adopters, to dog owners, et cetera, to ultimately improve the welfare of the dogs. Um,
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the dog welfare idea is so important because one, we want to get the dogs out of the shelters, but two, we want to prevent them from coming back.
2: You are exactly, exactly right. So we want to get dogs into homes um, and we, you know, we want to get them into permanent homes. So foster homes are probably better than a shelter um, or some type of kennel environment. But even still being in their kind of permanent home is probably the, the best without, you know, without, you know, kind of a lot of research to support. It's probably we can assume that that's probably best for the dog. So, yes, how can we get a dog into a home and how can we get that dog to stay there? But not only to stay there, to stay there, to stay in a, in a home environment that is, is, is well suited to them um, and that, you know, their welfare is good. The family is happy with their dog, with their relationship with their dog, um, and and yeah, and you have a, a really overall a, a strong placement, in successful relationship.
1: So there tends to be a phenomena of every time a dog wins the Westminster, or there's a movie about a specific breed of dogs like 101 Dalmatians, for example, that Mm -hmm. all of a sudden these particular dogs become very popular. And a lot of people go and acquire these dogs without really any comprehension of whether that dog is a good fit for their family.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: So that's where we find that dogs don't stay in their homes and they end up in shelters
2: Yep. Yep. That's definitely, that's definitely one way. There was a movie that's come out recently. I can't remember what the movie is because I don't follow these things. Um, But the, the, the star of the movie was a Belgian Malinois. Oh, nice. Um, And, and Belgian Malinois are really awesome dogs, but they're also a lot of dog. (laughs) Um, And, you know, might not be the best fit for people living in, most environments, so in urban environments or even suburban environments, and you know, really probably would do better uh, in a home without too much going on, and and you know, with a family that has the time, really has the time to dedicate to to supporting the dog, meeting their needs, all of their behavioral needs, all their cognitive needs, which includes you know, appropriate uh, positive foreign, positive reinforcement based training, etc. Um. So yes, you are you are exactly right. Um, other things to take into consideration though, in terms of placing a dog into a home and what's kind of the right fit is yes, you're right, breed is important. Um, actually, there was a huge study that just came out uh, that showed, um, which has kind of been making its way, I don't know if you've seen it through the news, um, a big study that just came out that, that showed that actually breed is a small proportion of what, um, the genes of what contributes to personality. Um, So other things that contribute to temperament and personality in a dog, yes, are their genes for sure, but also um, early life experiences and also um, any type of stress uh, that their mother experienced when they were pregnant. So there are lots of things that contribute um, to a dog's personality, to their temperament. And of course, early life experience, but also, you know, other experiences throughout life. Um, So there's lots to take into consideration. Um, And as a slight tangent, um, unfortunately, any type of behavioral assessment that's done uh, pre-adoption, they generally are not super useful in predicting um, post-adoption behavior. Um, So we just need to take that into consideration um, when as an adopter, when choosing a dog, um, any information that you're given about kind of any type of assessment that was done that you're given take it with a grain of salt, try to gather information about a dog else from other means. So if they were fostered, gathering information from their foster home, if they were owner surrendered, any information that the owner might have. Um, so kind of different means to collect, to collect kind of, yeah, information about the dog. So <laughs> I think, I think you, fit.
1: yeah, I think you take a pretty radical approach in some respects, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, believe that it's these pre-adoption behavioral behavioral assessments that are really going to be an indicator as to whether or not the adoption is going to be successful. But you mm-hmm. have actually found out that there's something more important than pre-adoption <laughs> behavioral assessments. And talk to us about that.
2: So, so, yeah. So really quickly, what's important to remember is these assessments are a snapshot in time. Um, So they are, and yes, some organizations do kind of do reassessments, but they are a snapshot in time in ultimately what could very well be a very stressful situation. So living in a kennel, living in a a kind of shelter environment is very different than living in a home. Um, So they are a snapshot in time and not necessarily predictive of what the dog will do in a home environment. Um, So that's really important to remember. Um, So... Yes, some of my work, which I, I think is what you're alluding to, um, has looked at, so, so uh, quite a bit of the, the research in this field has looked at these assessments, look, looked at their, um, their validity um, and their reliability. However, some of my own work has looked at um, pre-adoption adopter screening policies. So we know what organizations largely do to screen the dogs but the dogs were only half of the equation, the other half of the adopters. Um, So I conducted a a big, huge qualitative study um, that asked um, over 80 organizations actually in the UK of various sizes and and natures um, and said, and I went to them and I said, okay, you screen adopters. (laughs) Um, How do you screen them? So what means do you use, do you use a questionnaire? Do you use an interview? Um, you know, what do you do? And then, by whatever means you screen them, what information are you looking to gather about a potential adopter? So, what kind of? If you hand them a questionnaire, what are all the questions on there? I'm sure you know most of your listeners have possibly gone to adopt a dog or a cat before, and they are used to all the kind of applications. Um, and then, of the different types of information that you gather. Uh, what is most important to you? So what do you value the most? And then of that, is there any information about a potential adopter or their family um, that if you found it out, you would not allow them to adopt any dog from you? So kind of what we called in the paper, pass-fail criteria. So, of the many, many things that they adopt for, and, and we it was a qualitative paper, so we kind of grouped it. So things related to accommodation, things related to family, things related to lifestyle, so all these kind of different, we grouped it topically. Um, many things they find important. <laughs> um, now it could be just one organization that finds this important, uh, important. It could be more multiple organizations. Um, And then within those, there are still quite a few factors that if an adopter had them, they would not be allowed to adopt any dog. Um, And it's a long, long list. Um, And so we said, okay, there are all these things that you find important and many of those you will not adopt any dog to. Um, What is there any scientific rationale for this? Okay, so we would think, we would hope, that you are asking all of these questions and all this information because you have some great reason for this. So we went to the scientific literature, the published literature, and we looked at three different things, three different areas of literature. Overall welfare quality of life of the dog, um, risk for relinquishment, and um, safety risk to humans. So are any of these factors, have they been found in other studies to be statistically associated with, with any of these three areas. When we combed the literature, the only group that was found to be related to, in some respect, at least two of them and a little bit to the third, were ages of children in the home. So research has found that young children um, put uh, are, are associated with an increased human safety risk in the home if there's a dog. Um, cause a dog to be at increased risk for relinquishment and also can affect their overall welfare quality of life. So there's probably a relationship between those. Even still, so we're saying, okay, we know that children in the home, that there are risks associated with it. So we get that you're nervous, that you're concerned, that obviously you wanna make sure that the dog stays in this home, but everyone's safe and their welfare is good. We totally get that. However... There are lots of children in the world, lots of dogs that need homes. So rather than say, no, you absolutely cannot adopt any dog. Um, And this is true for the other factors as well. Um, There's some justification. Rather than saying, no, you can't have any dog. Let's take a step back and think about how we can possibly place a dog into this home and it will be safe and it will be successful. Um, There's other research that has found that post-adoption support. So behavioral support, veterinary support, etc., hasn't been kind of thoroughly picked apart yet, but we know post-adoption support um, statistically significantly decreases the likelihood that a dog will be relinquished. And it's by a lot. It's something like 11 times the odds. So we know that this is important. We know that post-adoption support is important. We know that dogs, um, for up to a year post adoption are at an increased risk for relinquishment. The risk is higher at the very beginning and it decreases, but still for a year, it's, it's important. So we're saying instead of spending all of these resources because this paper also found the organization spend an extraordinary amount of time and resources screening potential adopters, um, instead of expending all of your limited resources on doing this, let's ta- let's shift your focus and instead a lot more time on offering these these methods of support and also education pre-adoption. So how can we, for example, in the case of children, how can we make sure that children and families um, really know how to safely and appropriately interact with the dog Um, and then how can we support them after? So sorry, that was (laughs) very long. That was, that was
1: excellent though, because that really, I feel like pulls the whole thing together and says why your organization exists, right?
2: Um, Yeah, it's, 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 it's a big, it's a big part of it. I mean, that's only one of some some of my own work, but yeah, yeah. Organization looks at all aspects of every homing, relinquishment, sheltering, et cetera, in terms of the research.
1: Well, and I think that that is awesome because I, are there any other organizations that you know of that are even remotely similar
2: to yours? So there's, so there are some there for sure are. So there are some um, that do certain aspects. So there are some that fund a lot of research in this field. Um, I don't want to name names,
0: nice, nice. <laughs> um,
2: but no, there are some that do in the U S for example, uh, that do, Fund a lot of research in this field and do, you know, have have quite, do give quite generous grants for research. Um, uh, Kind of, so we're not looking to reinvent the wheel. What we are looking to do is, yes, fund research in this field because we know that there's a lack of funding. But really, the most important part at the end of the day is, like I said, it's great, we can have all this research that's done if we had all this money. But really what's important is getting the results of the research to the people and organizations who need it in a comprehensible and accessible manner. So we are kind of thinking that even these organizations that do fund a lot of research um, and do, you know, fund it very generously, that are we really making sure that they're getting the research to the people who need it? And also, you know, we think that there's some bias in the research that's funded so a lot of this work yes it's great and it's cheerful but sometimes we need to look at the less less happy bits of this because otherwise we can't we can't miss out so you know we want to fund all research based on its need and that's why obviously we have a lot of really awesome scientists in this field involved because we really want to yeah focus on the research that both we fund and, and or disseminate um that that's useful and that's relevant and that isn't always so maybe cheerful and peppy because <laughs> it's really sure. important Yeah, to research look at, isn't always peppy right it's not it's not and we want to make sure like you know yes obviously we want dogs to get into homes and we obviously are improving their welfare but we need to look at all bits of of the field. Um, And sometimes that might not be, we might find things that we don't want to find, but we need to look.
1: I I think that's great. So I know that your organization, um, which is called the Dog Rehoming Project, has three primary aims.
2: It does. It does. Um, so I'll go through this quickly because we've kind of touched on all of them. Um, so the first is to fundraise and then fund research in this field. As I've mentioned, that there's a huge lack of funding for this type of research. Um, so we, as researchers, spend an extraordinary amount of time filling out very long and complicated grant applications for money that we are very unlikely to actually get, um, because we are often up against rabbit research and horse research, all really noble causes. Um, But when we're trying to work in one field, there's not a lot. So first of all, to fund and to fundraise, uh, to fundraise and then to fund research in this field and to do it in a very novel way. So very short grant applications, um, you know, a focus on a lot of young researchers. So we're really trying to take a novel approach to funding. I recently completed a 40 page grant application um, that was unbearable. Um, So how can we do this easier? Um, So that's the first. The second is to um, match up the people and organizations who would like to contribute to research in this field. We know that citizen science is a growing field of research. So basically how can kind of average people uh, contribute to science. So by observing their own dog, if they volunteer shelter, whatever. Um, We also know on the researcher side that we, we may have a great idea for a study. But if you need 500 participants, that can take you six months to round up. Um, so, so kind of bringing these two people together. So these, the people who wanna participate and the researchers who need them. Um, so kind of to a central portal. The third uh, aim, which is really the most important bit is to disseminate the researcher, the research. Um, so both that that we ultimately fund and just other research that's happening in this field to the people and organizations who need it in an accessible and comprehensible manner. Well, so based- I like that
1: you use the word comprehensible.
2: Yes, yes. So, so like I said, as a researcher, kind of the normal process is you do a study, you submit it to a peer reviewed journal for publication, you go through several rounds of revision, hopefully it's ultimately published, and then just kind of sits in a journal. Um, so it's probably only going to be read by other scientists. Um, and if it is, often it can be kind of challenging to read, um, you know, it's not gonna go beyond there. So instead we're saying, hey, everybody, our target audiences, so organizations, adopters, owners, et cetera, there's this research, this is what it's found, and this is what it means to you. So if Joe at the local Humane Society happens to have access to a scientific journal, probably isn't gonna know what a significant p-value is. (laughs) It doesn't need to. We can instead say, this is what they found. Based on what they found, this is how you can update your policies, your procedures, whatever you're doing within your organization to be more efficient and to ultimately improve dog welfare. Um, So in doing that, we are aware that people learn in different ways. So we disseminate research in different ways. So some of the ways we're doing it thus far, we do researcher interviews. So much like you and I are kind of talking, um, we talk to researchers about the background of the research, what they found, why it's important, how it's relevant, and then how to kind of update policies, procedures, et cetera. Um, we're doing infographics, which are very nice, um, both for organizations to use for themselves, to hand out to potential adopters, et cetera. Um, And then we've also kind of are doing kind of short summaries and stuff. We'll probably branch out further to various social media things like TikTok and whatnot, but we're not there yet. Um, So, yeah, just kind of different ways to gather the research, Um, realizing that people, you know, we have a video and an audio only version of our interviews. So that, for example, maybe, you know, a local manager of a local animal shelter can listen to it while she's driving while they're driving to work or washing dishes or (laughs) <laughs> whatever. Um so yeah, accessible and comprehensible. That's awesome. Well, and anybody can get involved, right? Yes. Yes, anybody yeah. can get involved in so many different ways as well. And I think that's
1: a nice part because whether you're a shelter or a rehoming organization mm-hmm. or a researcher or a pet owner, everybody can get involved.
2: Everybody can get involved. And one of the things that I'm really excited about is, you know, I'm a researcher and so I can tell you based on my own work, the research that's published, where kind of I think research needs to go next. But I'm a researcher. I don't don't work at a shelter. I don't work in a home organization. On the flip side, you have people who do volunteer work in these organizations um, and who may not be aware of the research. So rather than me as a researcher just saying, hey, this is what needs to be done next. I think this is what we need to do we're kind of taking both a top-down and bottom-up approach. So we are encouraging organizations, which we've actually already had um, some people reach out to us, who have said, hey, I have this idea. I have this question, right? We have this problem, for example. You know, I work in a shelter. We have this problem. We're struggling to get, you know, our, I don't know, large black dogs adopted. Is there any research on this? And either, oh, yes, there is this is what it says or oh no that's a really interesting question there's not um you know so let's let's collaborate so we have the scientists let's come together and see if perhaps we can use science to investigate this problem and and solve this problem or at least gain some more insight into it so again kind of that top down either as a researcher that kind of bottom-up approach um from the organizations themselves so yeah
1: and that truly is a problem getting large black dogs (laughs) (laughs) So <laughs> it just popped into my head, but <laughs> it is it is a problem. So it was a very good example. Um, so people can sign up for your newsletter. They can apply for funding. They can make donations. They can sign up as pet owners. Yep. So we
2: are a new organization. So we haven't gotten all the pieces into place yet. Um, so we're still kind of working on getting everything in place um, for the second bit to sign up to kind of participate in research. It will be set. Up, it will be set up shortly. Um, We will be funding for grants in due course. Right now, we're largely focusing on fundraising so that we can fund grants Um, and also getting the word out there about the organization, Um, you know, yes, for fundraising, but really more importantly, so that people and organizations are making decisions, policy decisions, procedural decisions, not based on anecdote, not based on tradition. We've always done this, so therefore we keep doing this, but based on actual scientific data and evidence um, because that's what, need, <laughs> that's, that's what ultimately will improve dog welfare. That's
1: what needs to be done well. And you've surrounded exactly. yourself with an amazing team.
2: They are extraordinary. So I'm very Um, grateful. Yes. Karen calls them
1: the think tank. Yes,
2: the think is great. Yes. (laughs) They are an extraordinary group of people. We're kind of the nucleus of the organization. Where does it need to go next? What do we need to focus on? Right now we're working on a big series. Um it's coming out in bits and pieces, focusing on children and dogs or dogs and children. Um, so like we discussed, that's a really big area, um, a problematic area, placing dogs into homes with children. So how can we, um, what does the science say? Um, so we've had a, an amazing group of, of both canine science researchers, but also uh, a lot of researchers that are human developmental psychologists um, who have looked at different different bits of the work. Um, so what does the science say? How can we then help families help children to have appropriate dog child interactions and what kind of tangible tools are, are there so we're doing this, this huge research series that we're focusing on um, it'll like i said come out in bits and pieces um, but yeah that's 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 the think tank um, yeah they're kind of the yeah the center <laughs> nucleus
1: <laughs> well i would i would direct people to your website at the dog rehomingproject.org if you want to yeah. learn more about um, Dr. Karen and all of her think tank team because there's some pretty impressive uh, resumes on there um, and clearly everyone is a dog lover.
2: Yes we are so we have our think tank our wonderful board of directors and our scientific committee who's an extraordinary group of mostly all women women scientists in this field so they have really paved the way for some amazing work.
1: I guess I'm not that amazed since um We've had a few folks on recently from the veterinary community and it Mm -hmm. seems like the veterinary schools are being overrun with women and uh, not that we think that's a bad thing because no,
2: it's, it's, it's awesome. I love, I love that I'm surrounded by so many. Yeah. Amazing, amazing women
1: scientists.
2: So it's really great.
1: Well, and it's funny that you have one man as part of your (laughs) scientific team. And in my law practice, we
2: have one male attorney. He is, he is, he is lovely. I mean, he's a veterinary behaviorist in Greece. He is lovely. Um, But yes, it was, and that's just by luck because just everyone, I rounded up all, all my people and they just mostly tend to be women. (laughs) So.
1: That's okay.
2: That's okay. Um,
1: we appreciate you very much, Dr. Karen Griffin, for joining us today Thank and you. for Thank founding and creating the Dog Rehoming Project and doing all of this fabulous scientific research that we can understand as dog owners <laughs> um, because it's important for us to know I feel like my own little house could be a uh, microcosm of <laughs> study group um, with all of the dogs that I have at my house so that would, oh, that would oh. be fun um, one of my dogs is enrolled in a research project right now. Oh, nice. Um, nice! So yeah, my youngest one, she's in, she's enrolled in the uh, dog aging project.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, so yes, there's lots of good research going on out there, but uh, as a, and always a doctor, I, I love that you're looking at what makes for successful adoptions and yeah. lowers our relinquishment rate and um, of course, I have some personal concerns right now because a lot of people adopted dogs during um, the time when they were working from home, and my yes. hope and my goal would be that all those dogs keep those lovely homes. Um, so I hope they do.
2: Yes, I, I hope so as well. Um, I yeah, where there's yeah, there are bits of research that are coming out that's kind of looking um, making sure that what's being reported in the media is actually based on science and not just hearsay.
1: Yes.
2: Um, so yes, yes. A lot of work is coming out around that for sure.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank yeah. you again. We really appreciate you joining us and, and doing all the wonderful things that you're doing for animals. And uh, to our listeners, I would, uh, I would send you again to the thedogrehomingproject.org. I thank you for joining us and for um, supporting our efforts and uh, bringing you good information. You know my personal philosophy. It is until there are none, please adopt one. And we'll see you next time. Happy tails.
0: Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet.